Welcome to another episode of It's a Packed Life podcast. I'm your host, Celeste. Today is August, Friday 5th, 2022. And this is episode 10. And we are wrapping up a three-part series of my conversation with my friends Charity and Deb, which I've entitled Love Wins. And I am really excited to share with you the last part of this amazing conversation. Welcome to the show. And I told her, like, I have all of these chronic illnesses, I use a cane, blah, 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 and you can go. And she said, oh my gosh, I have like some of those too, and here's what I have. And we immediately like made a pact, okay, from here on out, nobody apologizes. I love that. Like not feeling good. Plans you can cancel like plans. Yeah. If you can't talk to me for two or three days, like I totally get it. Yeah. And it was amazing to find, like, to be with a person who didn't make me feel guilty for yeah. being honest about being sick, who yeah. was, you know, if I felt bad was like, man, that sucks. What can I do? Right. Like it was, it really was so nice to finally be able, like, to not be afraid to say, Oh, I, I can't today. Yeah. I can't today. And that's been our rule. Like every once in a while, one of us will look at the other one. Like for the last two weeks, she's felt like crap and hasn't been able to go to work. And she's apologized so many times. And I've said to her, like, what's our first rule? We don't apologize for this. I was apologizing because my my justification for apologizing, honestly, was like no paycheck. And so... Wow. Yeah, like but, you know the 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 thought that this Thursday is my payday and I'm not going to get anything out of it. Well, it, you know that's that's a little hard. I think it hits in the pride a bit. You know what I mean? So uh, the but, ego, you know, huh? Yeah, that big old ego. But uh, we really do try to be compassionate, not just with ourselves but with each other, because a lot of the time we flare up at totally different times. You know, the pain gets really bad at different times. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, she was sick for a good three oh. days, just completely, God, was bad. completely bedridden. And I was like, I was okay. So it was like, what can I do to help her get through this? So, okay. you know, I would lay next to her and read or whatever. And, uh, you know, it really is just, re- it's refreshing to know that when things go a little bit sour, this person's not going to run on me. Because one of the things that my ex said when she blindsided me was, and not to make it sound like she's this big villain or anything. No, but but it's delightful now. She fell apart. She's grown up now. So she's (laughs) a lot. Yeah, we we get along now. We can talk to each other now. But one of the things that she cited was, you know, it's really hard because your chronic illness sets us back and stuff. And so immediately I took that on as... yeah shit you know take ownership of it yeah like nobody's gonna want me if i'm broken broken but like you have no control over this right i don't have any control over this i do have control over my attitude about it ish yeah ish yeah because there are definitely days when i'm like wallowing in self-pity and it's like (laughs) well but i think too like we have to give ourselves because i deal with chronic illness stuff too right and like we have to give ourselves permission to go ahead and accept that it sucks. Yeah. Because if you don't admit that and give yourself permission to feel that fully, it's yeah. percolating. Oh, and yeah. eventually it'll blow up because it's it sucks. Yeah. You also have to give yourself space to, I had to take time to mourn the person I used to be. Yeah. I was an incredibly active athletic person. I was a triathlete. 
I did Ragnar in June and in August was bedridden. Couldn't move for the first wow. time. Could not figure out why. And that'd be brutal. It's hard for you to realize like, <laughs> like I don't feel good today. And part of it is because I spent the entire day yesterday working around the house and doing yard work. When and I, then the barometer also dropped overnight. So when I probably um, should have acknowledged, like, this is not something I can do all at once, right. but I'm going to keep doing it because I'm not very smart. And <laughs> it's not that you're just driven and she, um, covered with- she and I are different in this. And this is one of the things I like about our relationship as well is that even though we're two different people and we operate differently, <laughs> it, we complement each other somehow yeah. because like she remarked today, she was like, we should make a TikTok about how like I do like, <laughs> I was the guy, somebody, I didn't interrupt you because yeah. somebody did a TikTok where he was like how I load the dishwasher and it shows him like loading perfectly. It like, yeah. And he's like how my husband loads the dishwasher. And it's and the just, guy just like just piling close, everything on yeah. the top and being like yeah. shit slamming yeah. the post. And I said, we should make a TikTok about how I load the dishwasher and you put things in the sink. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, I have no argument. <laughs> like, she's not, she's not false. So, like, but I'm also not mad about it. Yeah. I like following you around and just cleaning up. It's cute. <laughs> I, I really do try to stay organized and stuff, but um, I'm definitely not as. She doesn't um, like putting stuff in the dishwasher. I'm not as clean as she is in terms of, yeah. But, but, but if you look at my bookcases, though, I'm just like, oh no, I'll do that. <laughs> Um, I, I will organize the books as such because that's how it needs to be. And so she's like, all righty then. And also when we unload our books, when we unpack them, I, we have multiple dual, like double copies. And I know that I will be the one getting rid of my copies because it doesn't matter when or where she got them. They are sacred to her and I would never expect her to get rid of one of hers, but I will get it. I will get rid because of it. Well, but that, that's the whole thing about relationships, right? Is recognizing the things that are really important and where people's expectations are. And when we feel safe to communicate that with each other, yeah, then we can build a cultivated, happy, beautiful life together. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Instead of fighting each other on it, you know, which is something I definitely have experience with in past relationships. Um, I've had exes actually say to me, why don't you put that book down and spend time with me? And, you know, and it's like, you're not in competition with my books. Like it might feel like it, but honestly, like I'm just sitting here reading cause you were up doing something else. Right. I wasn't ignoring you or whatever. So, um, but you know, there was always a lot of contention in past relationships about the small things And I think after losing my dad, as much as that was that hurt and as much as it still hurts, I really thoroughly believe that I finally figured out what is genuinely important in life. And it's not the stuff. It's not money. It's not having Mm. the best credit scores. It's not... (laughs) whatever. And I'm not just saying that because mine sucks right now. I'm saying that because I really firmly believe that life is too short to put all of your eggs in those baskets. Because when all is said and done, when you reach the end of your life, whenever that may be, I hope that I get to look back and go, you know what? I lived 
an amazingly authentic and intentional life. I have done everything I can to do to become happy and contented and to wake up every day with the intention of being happy and and helping others be happy as well. It doesn't always work out that way. I'm only human. We all are, right? Like there are days I get up and I'm like, fuck it, I'm miserable. I don't care. And I still battle with uh, clinical depression yeah. I have anxiety issues and I work with them daily. I still go to therapy. I take my antidepressant, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm broken. Like anybody who's depressed or has any other mental illness should never think that they're broken. Look at the world we live in right now. Look at what we've been living in. It is not easy to be human. It just isn't. And well, actually, I think it's very easy to be human. But for some reason, humans forget that we're human. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. We're very unforgiving. We're We're very unforgiving of other people's areas of weakness. And our own. Of our own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the harder you are on yourself, the harder you are on everyone else, because the way that you talk to yourself and treat yourself inside is always going to show up in the way that you treat people. Oh yeah. And I've been my own worst enemy plenty of times in my life. And uh, I don't let her anymore. Good. (laughs) I'm the she was waiting (laughs) now. Yeah. Well, and, and so it's funny. Uh, one thing I want to, I'm going to rewind a little bit and tell you on our very first date, like within the first 10 minutes of our first date, <laughs> she said to me, I want you to know why I'm so nervous. Cause I had told her the night before that I wasn't sleeping. And yeah, I was she wasn't sleeping. She had to drug up to sleep the night before. Authentic. <laughs> so I go, well, why? Okay. So you're nervous. What's up? And so she, she looks me straight square in the eyes and goes, you're the first person I've dated since I got divorced. Also, you're the first woman I've ever dated. Of course, there's that like immediate (laughs) alarm that goes off in my brain. That's like, oh God, do I, you know? And and then I thought, you know what though? I really like this person and we have somehow connected on a very fundamental level. I need to see where this is going to go. I didn't let myself be afraid. And I remember telling some of my friends about it. And they just kind of looked at me like a deer in headlights, like, you know, and I was like, calm down. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. I told my- When you framed it to me, you said, no, I don't want you to worry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm, I feel really connected with this person. And I was just like, you know yourself well enough that you can trust yourself. I told my friends that I told that I said that. And they said, you didn't say that to her, did you? (laughs) (laughs) She was going to pick up on it eventually when I didn't know what to do at the end of a date. I haven't had a date since before the millennium. <laughs> I had more, I had more experience. Okay, grandma. Just kidding. <laughs> I, had, I had more experience in dating than you, but I still didn't know what to do. I texted my friend during the baseball game and I, because she had to run off and do something. And I was like, I really like her. Do I kiss her at the end? I don't know. It's our first date. And she was like, well, how are these going? And I'm telling her, she goes, yes, kiss her in all caps. At the very end of the day, she goes, hug? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so, we, so we hugged, but it was like- The best hug ever. Yeah, it was a really good, it was, it nice. was a good hug. There, there, was electri- there was electricity. Everything fits just right. She's yeah. the right height. Yeah. Yay. And, um, your head's not in your boobs. 
No? Yeah. And then I was walking to my car and I go, so second date. And I mean, her grin just went from <laughs> ear to ear and she goes, yes, please. And yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really cute and amazing. And I've got to tell you, Celeste, that if I had met her say 20 years ago, I don't think we would have had the same experience because you wouldn't have been ready. No, I wouldn't have been ready. And um, I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have been emotionally mature enough. <laughs> I was still trying to get my feet underneath me. You know, I still had a lot of learning to do about myself and how to be authentic with my, not just myself, but with other people, because I found that it's usually the reverse for most people. But for me, it was easier for me to like outwardly show that I was living my authentic life. But when it came to trying to prove it to myself, it was like, you're living a giant fucking lie, you know, like. I have you looked at the whole trending thing right now about imposter syndrome? Because that's actually a fairly common life experience. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in academia and it's very common in academia to think that like everyone's going to know how stupid you are. <laughs> if you talk. If only my students knew what an idiot I was, they wouldn't listen to me, that kind of stuff. When I found out she was a PhD, at first I was intimidated. And she goes, I am a walking example of how a PhD doesn't mean anything. And I started laughing and I was like, well, okay. And and uh, it's interesting because she'll compliment me and she'll say things like, you are one of the most intelligent people I know. And I'm looking at her going, I don't have an, the ounce of education that you have. And then she's like, that doesn't matter. Like it's not intelligence. Books, yeah. Book smart is not go ahead necessarily intelligence. And you should do a That's TikTok true. sometime and be like, which of us owns these books? One is a PhD. <laughs> da, 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 yeah. da. I, mean, of, I have books. They're I know, books. but I'm just saying. My books are textbooks. They're boring. No one reads them for fun except for me. I've, I'm trying, I'm still trying to finish reading her dissertation because I was intensely interested in what she wrote her paper on. But I mean, I'll pick up nonfiction books just for the pure hell of it, like science and whatever. Like I have always been interested in astronomy and all this other stuff. And God, I'll she be like a psychology textbook at Marissa's one day. And I was like, what are you going to do with it? She goes, I don't know. I'll read it one day. Yeah. It means a lot to me that she'll say that. And I know she's not being biased. You know, that's when I got started. I was like, you know, I have a person all of a sudden that really truly believes in my brain power, apparently, and, and my level of ability to be creative if I just put my mind to it. Last year, I started a rough draft of a novel and I got further in it than I ever have gotten before. It's really good. Granted, I need to pick it back up again. Like yeah. I've, I've left it, but uh, well. Yeah. You know, when the time is right, you will, you know, there's always that imposter syndrome that always came up in the past. It was always like, what am I, what the fuck am I doing? I don't have, I don't have a degree in English. I don't have experience writing for people. I don't have this and all that. You know, I just always had these excuses of why I shouldn't embark on this and uh, on this endeavor, this journey. And then I got to thinking, you know, even if I wrote the book and only wrote it for myself and people I love, then that to me is a measurement of success. If I could just complete it and write something that I thought I was proud of. But in the meantime, there's still that still small voice in the back of my head that's like- Don't call it that. Huh? Don't call it a still small voice. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) The flashbacks. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I've written in a journal since I was 12. I still write in one. It is my lifeline. Can um, I just say, I have a journal that I kept for six years, 12 to 18, and not once was I honest in it. I was hardly ever honest in my journal either. I have like 20 journals. Yeah. So, and the reason is, and I listen to you talk about this and I think, and you will probably cut this out because it's completely out of order, but I was thinking of this when you were talking about it and didn't want to interrupt you. I was never honest in my journals because the way the LDS conception of a journal is like, you leave it for your, for your posterity, posterity to read and learn from you. And I didn't want them to know that I had a crush on Bonnie in high school. And I didn't want them to know that I wasn't sure if I really wanted to get married to a man. And I didn't want them to know all of these things that were going on and that were wrong with me. And then not only do you have these journals that you were completely, totally open and honest in, but she keeps them in our room and has told me, I like has said, oh, do you want to read this one? Like has let me read, like look through them. I've not read all of them, but I know she was totally honest in them because she's shown them to me. Like this is the most authentic person I know. Yeah. She shares all of her feelings with me. <laughs> I didn't have anywhere else to put that stuff though. So it was like, but I think that's, that's the same you. with so many of us though. I yeah. think that taught you, you, that you started by writing in your journal, honestly to yourself. And I think that that trained you and prepared you for when you did have to come out. Mm-hmm. You were kind of ready in a roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, but like you were able. And as an adult, yes, it's taken you a while, but I swear to you, that is a level of maturity and like at least a willingness to confront the things that you really are thinking and dealing with that I cannot imagine having when I was. I know I can't because I didn't have it when I even when I was eighteen. I was never honest in my journals like that. We can cut this out if you want me to, too. But I was going to say it like you actually weren't fully honest with yourself, even in your marriage and your life. And I mean, in your 40s, is that I'm not sure I would classify it. I'm not sure I would classify it as not honest. I always knew that I, I knew, and he and I had had conversations like, yeah, you don't have, he knows that I tell this story, but like we once were having this conversation about what we would do in the very, very odd, never would happen possibility that we would leave the church. And I, he said the first thing he would do is spend his tithing money. And I said, the first thing I would do is hook up with a woman. Like this was not a surprise to him. It shouldn't have been anyway, right? My kids, the day, the night that I said to him, do you think I need to have this conversation with this other person about me being bisexual? He, and he said, wait, you're what? Right. The night that I came out to him, our kids were right behind us at the kitchen table. I had this conversation out in the open with him because they knew they had been at the pride parade when I had introduced myself as bisexual, but married to a really great guy. He knew all of this stuff was happening, but had never connected them, I guess. So I wouldn't say that I wasn't being authentic. I would say that the fact that I didn't feel like I could 
test those waters as a teenager because I was too afraid made it so I didn't realize how much I didn't actually know myself. Right. I did not, I genuinely did not understand that the scale was not 50-50 bisexual, but was actually more like 90-10 lesbian. (laughs) I didn't realize it. And there are so many things that should have been red flags. But as someone who was so afraid, yeah, I was completely in denial and then just ignorant of it, right? Just so innocent. And I think that this is why representation matters so, so much. This is why pride matters. This is why these conversations need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that I left my marriage, I left my wedding in tears, terrified that I was going to have to see a boy naked should have been a clue to someone. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you that I was 26 when I got married and I was still terrified of seeing a boy naked. Well, yeah, because I had been so protected by the Mormon Mormon culture. (laughs) See, Again, again, this comes back to the fact also that I had been sexually assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. And that it was framed to me as, well, this probably started because he was looking at pornography. Oh God, yes. Stop that. You know, and like, I'm supposed to have some kind of compassion for the perversion that that hurt my life. And then, you know, you're told you you have to forgive and you, and I was actually told, well, you probably shouldn't be taking the sacrament if you can't forgive this person. Oh (laughs) yeah. God, it's so backwards. So, and, and I'm at a point now where I very vocally advocate that forgiveness is not something that everybody deserves. There are some things that are completely unforgivable. And I think, I think that. And they don't deserve it from everyone. Maybe they deserve it from like other people, but they're they're Or from themselves. Like I'm not saying they can't move on to a healthier space for themselves, right? Yeah. But the victim of a sexual assault does not owe anyone forgiveness. And that doesn't mean that I'm carrying around a bunch of bitterness and I'm actually healthier when I accepted that I don't have to forgive what happened to me than I ever was when I was trying to pretend that I was okay with it. Yeah. Yep. There's all kinds of messages that are hidden in that doctrine that make you afraid to test the waters, afraid to understand who you really are especially if you're a woman, because you're going to be punished more mm-hmm. than a man will. Yeah. It just, because it's expected of men. Yeah. yeah. It just, there's all kinds of stuff in there that makes it so that it's really hard for you to figure out who your real full self is. And I maintain that I could have done that while still doing things like living the law of chastity and everything. I could have done that and figured out who I was if I hadn't been, if certain things hadn't been just so pounded into me certain messages that are incredibly harmful and patriarchal and like, give me some examples. Well, if I hadn't been told that as a woman, women's bodies, like modesty culture makes women's bodies, something that have to be covered that are to be hidden, that you should not appreciate your own body, let alone anyone else's. I think modesty culture makes it so it's hard for you to really kind of ask yourself, how do I feel about my own body? How do I feel about other people's bodies? Right. I'm not saying everybody should go out wearing, you know, bikini tops. Yes, they should. Just kidding. (laughs) If they're not comfortable in them, right? Well, no, yeah, exactly. It's about allowed to be comfortable in their own bodies 
so that they can understand what their, how their bodies are reacting to things like a beautiful woman who walks by, right? When right. I have that reaction as a 13 year old girl, my immediate response is that is Satan. That, that is not me. Right. And we don't do the same thing to boys. We don't police no. their clothing and their bodies the way we do girls, no. which makes it harder. In fact, the girls are told you have a responsibility to help boys control their thoughts by covering up by meaning like they don't actually have full control They're That's what's going to happen. That's how they are. So Mm -hmm. it's up to you. And I definitely don't want that to be turned into like, it's easier for a boy to realize he's gay in the church than it's easier. No, 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 not at all. No, not at all. Because there's a whole other God, whole other problem there. But I do want to say that for me, I feel like if I hadn't felt that from the moment I really dug in and became a member of the LDS church and the culture, I felt like my body wasn't my own and my body wasn't for my pleasure. And so whatever I thought or felt, if it wasn't geared toward that patriarchal goal, being a mother, you to, yes, married to a man, be a mother, have a bunch of kids, sex is not for pleasure as much as it is for bringing new souls to whatever. Right. I, the reason it's pleasurable is so you'll want to have more kids, not I'm at the tail end of Saturday's warrior generation. Like I I used to feel guilty masturbating. It would be like, I never did. I I would, I would, you know, I discovered, I discovered that little trick when I was uh, rather young. I was 35. Yeah. I, I, I did masturbate when I was younger, but did not know the the name for it. Yeah. I didn't know the when people said masturbating, I was like, I don't do that. I've never done that. And it wasn't until after I was married and, and it's not even right when I was married. Right. It was like years later, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, that's what that was. Oh, I was totally masturbating when I was climbing those poles and like going up and down and holding on until I got the shakes. That feels nice. I'm yeah, gonna no, take an I, extra time yeah, so on the monkey bars. I yes, would but. I deliberately did like I mean, hello, like water faucets, whatever. The this top, girl you know? knew what she and was so, doing. But, um, the thing is, is well, I you know, it's almost like I found something pleasurable and I went, sure. Uh, but without without realizing why I felt guilty every single time because we weren't supposed to feel that kind of pleasure and right. it certainly wasn't supposed to happen at my own hands per se and it wasn't supposed to happen until marriage and even then like I just I felt this overwhelming guilt and it's like when I finally I don't know what age I was but when I finally realized that I get to own my sexuality and the fact that I am a sexual person and kinky to boot I was like no guilt no regrets yeah. no nothing like this is who I am and it's intrinsically me yeah and own it is empowering and freeing it's it it just it afforded me a kind of freedom with myself and with my partners that I didn't think I could have yeah but it took me a while from a young age until I don't know how old I was masturbation and things like that it made me feel dirty and guilty and like but I would still do it because it was like it feels good so (laughs) why not so I was like that, I mean, the devil had me in his clutches, oh man. <laughs> that is so fascinating to me. We've had this conversation so many times where I'm like, I was never, there was no possible way I was ever going to come close to that because my body was not mine. My body belonged to a deity and it was there to, 
for somebody else to have. And all of my value was wrapped up in keeping that. And so again, that's what I mean by saying, like, I really do feel like patriarchal culture makes it harder for you to figure out who you are and what you like. And I could have done that without ever having to talk to a bishop about it. I could have figured that out if I had just an inch more freedom or if the message had been your body is yours, your mind is yours, your pleasure is yours. Yeah. Go get them. Yeah. I would have given anything to have had somebody tell me these things. Here we (laughs) go. Even when I was, even when I came out and I, um, I started dating a woman, the first time I slept with a woman, I mean, I didn't have any fucking information. You didn't have any fucking, sorry. <laughs> literally, literally, literally did yes. not have any fucking information. Anyway, um, but I I had like my dad's porn magazines that I snuck into for years. But I mean, let's come on, let's face it, that shit's not helpful. that's not how that's not how women do All things. All that does is make you feel bad about yourself. Uh, <laughs> not really. It's just that it that's escapism. It needs to be framed as escapism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and most of that is for men. Right. So like half the stuff you see lesbians doing in porn is not something that actually happens. So I had to just go with the flow, but I'll tell you something. The first time that happened, I had an exact opposite reaction to that, that I did having sex with a man. It was like, I am home. This nice. is, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Finally, after that, I mean, there was no turning back. So, and you know, then that's just it is I didn't have, nobody gave me the sex talk when it was like me neither straight, whatever. Mm-hmm. I had the, what the fifth grade or sixth grade maturation. Yep. Program, mm-hmm. right? That's it. That's Even all I had to. Yeah. Even that's just about that's, wearing deodorant. And that's completely clinical. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I mean, there's a drawing yeah. of penis and a drawing of a vagina, yeah. but they don't even show like penetration. No. Um, and you know, you have your health classes in high school that doesn't, they don't tell you anything because their hands are tied by the state. So it's like, you know, honestly, my parents didn't tell me anything. I didn't know anything. Most of I was right back in those days. When I was 19, I asked a roommate of mine, okay, I understand how an erection works and I understand (laughs) where my vagina is, but what I don't understand is like, how does, how do those bodies ever get in a position where like the mechanics, I was 19 asking my room and she's like, we're going to watch this movie. And it wasn't porn, but it was a rated R movie that had Tyler. I don't even, it was like some Italian, they were in a olive farming garden, something under a tree or whatever. Anyway, they had sex. Right. And, and I watched it so that I could understand how people positioned their bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Penis to enter a vagina. Yeah. When I was 17, I asked my mom if she was ever going to have the birds and bees conversation with me. And she said, you probably know more than I do. What? And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to know. I have no idea. I got married and thought I could still get pregnant dur- if you had sex during your period. I had no idea. And Again, at no point in any of these classes do they talk about pleasure because I'll tell you what. Right. Again, 25 years, married to a man, very nice. Everything was fine. We had three kids. She always says, I don't know how you had three kids, but I don't know how she was straight. She's very good at being a lesbian. She never was. 
Yeah. But exactly. the first time I had sex with a woman was this woman. I didn't know what I was doing. I was terrified. But the difference between the first time I had sex with a man and the first time I had sex with a woman was everything felt natural. There was nothing. I was no longer was I self-conscious about somebody seeing me naked or what kind of faces I was making or if I was going to move in the wrong direction. And there was a lot of laughter. <laughs> it was natural. It was like, re- it was play. It was like, it yeah. was intimate. It was completely, yeah. well, for the, uh, just to, just to say it, it was completely authentic. Like there, yeah. there was nothing, no faking, no putting on an act, no yeah. anything. It was exactly what it was meant to be. And when she says it felt like home, that's, She's not wrong. All of a sudden I was like, this is what it's supposed to be. Before was fine. And I hope he had a good time, but this is where I'm supposed to be. I remember listening to, I've shared this with Charity before, but with Prop 8 happening, Jimmy Kimmel did a segment where he was asking people on the street if they believed that being gay was a choice. And they would say, of course it's a choice. He's like, awesome. So when did you make the decision to be straight? Mm -hmm. And it just clicked for me because I was thinking about how in high school, when I was all man Haiti, because I had been sexually assaulted. And I used to say it'd be so much easier if I could just like a woman. And I realized that if I could have made the choice, I would have been with women because I would have never had to go like into all of the trauma spaces I had to examine before I could have sex with a man. And I was just like, it was, it was never a choice for me. So why are like, who are we to say that someone else is making that decision? And with how hard the world makes it, especially, you know, in 2008, right. How hard it was even then that's not that long ago. Yeah. Conversely, I remember thinking if I could just, if I could just make the solid choice to be straight, my life would be so much easier. Mm Because like in high school, in junior, like I suspected something was <laughs> what I thought was off when I was in about the sixth grade. And then it just got stronger and stronger the older I got. And uh, so while all of my friends had crushes on boys, I would, I would say I had crushes on boys and I thought certain boys were cute in high school, but that was about it. Like I didn't want to have anything else to do with them. I didn't like kissing boys and I... I just remember thinking, God, if I could just choose to be straight, then I don't have to worry about one day losing my family or my friends or which how fucked up is that? That that's even on your radar as a child. Yeah. I mean, I was, I think I was about 15 or 16 when I started self-harming. Um, because I didn't know what else to do with all of that. The feeling. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I had so much anguish and so much torment inside of me that I didn't know what to do with it. And it was too much for me to contain. So the easiest thing for me to do was to, was to harm myself. Ironically enough, I would do it in a place that was visible to people. Because you wanted help. It was like a cry for help that nobody was listening to though, because like I, I came up with elaborate excuses and my parents would just believe it. And then I would get angry at them for believing my excuses. And it was like, how are you not seeing that I'm in pain? And then when they finally realized what was happening, my mom got so angry that she yelled at me and everything, which is not what I needed at the time. But that being said, I'm not trying to make my mom into a villain. She um, did what she could with what she, she had. Yeah. She does what, you know, every parent, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't know by experience, but this, I can definitely say that parents do what they can with what they have. Yeah. I'm 
gonna I'm gonna frame this a little differently for you, Charity. People, okay. people in general, do the best they can with what they have because just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you're gonna do better at something because you can have parents that do not do the best that they could. Like for example, like people say to me, "Oh, well, your parents did the best they could," and I'm like, "Here's my problem with that. If they had behaved in public the same way that they behaved in private, mm-hmm. then I would say, yeah, they didn't know better. Yeah, okay, but yeah, they did is- not react or respond the same in yeah. in public Sorry, or with someone was in our home. I will say this. I don't remember self-harm being part of a conversation in the at that time. So like your mom's for lack of a better term ignorance around it, I can understand. Yeah, well no, because it was so taboo, right? You don't yeah. talk about that shit. Yeah, when you no. do, you bury it under the rug and right. only few people know, but you like just don't do that. Don't, don't do that anymore. It's not something that well because the mental health conversation wasn't safe to have back then. Right. Exactly. And so the Mormon church at that point in time, when we were in high school, the Mormon church was still telling people to avoid therapy and, and psychiatry and things. Yeah. And I will say as to go back to the parents do the best they can, and they're going to make mistakes. Like one of the things that I did, I'm I'm pretty okay with the, like, with most of the choices I made with my kids. My kids are pretty great people. Like, I have a fairly good, I have a really good relationship with them. Although it's struggled the last two years because, the last year, because when I found out, like, when I did go on a date with a woman and I was like, oh, this is where I want to be. I get it. I get it. This is who I am. And I found a person who I wanted to be with and I could be happy with. Um, my kids had been encouraging me to do this. My daughter kept saying, mom, go get me a stepmom, right? right. <laughs> and then I didn't handle it great. I didn't handle it great with my with my middle child who was away to school and caused her a lot of pain. I didn't handle it great with my youngest who was still at home. And all of that has combined to make lots of turmoil in these relationships over the last few years. All the while I'm sitting here, you know, at some points going like, woo, authentic life. I'm so amazed that I can get, finally get to do this. But at the same time, it has caused collateral damage. Yeah. 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 There have, there has been damage that I did not think would be the damage. I was more worried about like, how was their dad going to react <laughs> to me being with a woman now? And that's, you know, kind of like number 52 on my list right now, as I work to rebuild what I thought was an absolutely rock hard, solid foundation with my kids. Um, because you make mistakes, even at 45, doesn't matter. Yeah. Mistakes yeah. are still going to happen. Well, and also there's two people navigating the missed expectations and the grief that's going to be happening. Did I do something? No, I was just thinking about when you said two people, I was thinking about Charity's dating profile said no kids. It did. <laughs> That's funny. It's true. And I have three. Do any of your kids live at home still? My youngest lives at home, but as perfect crystal clear evidence of a mistake that I made, we got engaged. We started planning how we were going to move. She was going to move into my house. And my youngest said, I want to go live with dad. And she claimed that it didn't have anything to do with what was happening here. But I'm absolutely positive that it was because I didn't handle it well. 
she started being a home, away from home a lot more often. My kids play sports like all year round in school. Mm-hmm. So they're gone a lot anyway, once they hit 14, 15, I didn't actually clock that like she was staying home away from home more because she didn't want to be home. Gotcha. If this was happening. And when she was gone, I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to go to charities, not realizing that her being gone was in its own way, like her flashing a red, like flashing light at me. Like, I want you to talk to me about how unhappy I am. That relationship is the third of three that have gone, that is now going through rocky waters. The other two, I feel like we've come through the other side. We're all good. Everything's fine. This one, there's some struggle happening right now. And we'll go through it, right? We'll be fine. But when people, you know, when you step out and say, guess what? The person who you thought I was maybe isn't exactly who you, who I was. And you got to change your expectations of me. That's not always easy for other people. It's not always, you always don't know how to handle it the best way. Like Charity said, she made some mistakes when she was 19. I am now making mine when I am 45 with other people. But that is part of being a human being, right? When you, It is. Uh, I was going to yeah. fuck up with these yeah. kids in one way or another. <laughs> it might as well be this way. Yeah. Look at me mess of a parent from that's what this is what I I tell Rory all the time I'm like I am not I've never parented before we are both going through this experience for the first time but I will give you the gift of therapy I always I always tell my oldest he was our practice child and we did okay with him his sisters are much better off because of what we learned with him but We put all three of them on leashes when they were children. And I will never apologize for that. That's one thing. Like literal leashes? Child leashes. My kids were on those child (laughs) leashes because those kids were runners and I wasn't about to fucking run after them in the middle of Disneyland or off a damn cliff while we were hiking. You're on a leash. Done. I mean, you do what you got to do, right? Yeah, exactly. You do. Just like now. So maybe I can look at her and say, remember when I put you on a leash? Why don't you be mad at me about that and not about (laughs) But one thing I wanted to say about uh, representation too is as much as I wish we had that same, the same representation that, that kids have now, like I'm, I'm amazed at how many kids come out while they're in high school. They go to proms with their same sex boyfriends or girlfriends. They, they're coming out as non-binary and they're coming out as trans and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't, my brain can't wrap around it because I can't imagine having done that at that age. But part of why that's possible is because of the journey that you went through. You took. Yeah. And and other people in our generation and the journey that you went through, because my son has come out as trans and he's safe to do that. And a big piece of me navigating my journey has been talking to you about how you navigated your journey. It's made a huge impact for my family. Which, you know, I, I mean, I, I definitely don't mean to sound like I was some kind of a victim of our of our generation or anything, but like I quite literally navigated that by myself. Yeah. It took a lot more gusto than I thought I ever had in me at that age. And I love the representation that we have all across the forms of media now. And the fact that kids can go on, teenagers can go on TikTok and find a loving community of LGBTQI plus community. And the one thing I definitely want to say, no matter what, no matter how you choose to edit this, to end this particular episode, I do want to say to all the trans 
kids and non-binary and those kids that are living in like ridiculously red states where they're passing laws that are erasing basically their presence wait just just stay strong and wait and find your people and i promise one way or another this is somehow going to be okay because we did not come this far just to have a bunch of old white men dial us back 20 five years, 30 years. We did not come this far for that shit to happen. And there will be a rainbow rebellion if it does. (laughs) And, um, you know, and that rainbow includes everybody. I know I'm not really necessarily talking about like all of the flag representations and stuff like that. When it all began, it was rainbow flags and upside down pink triangles at Stonewall, the AIDS crisis. I just read a book called, what is it? The Queer History of America or something. Yeah, history of the United States. I don't remember the author's name, but holy shit, was it enlightening? (laughs) It was like he talked about LGBT history in a way that mingled with um, America's values all the way back to the colonial days before. You know, the reason that we don't have it in our history is because it has been erased. It has been erased. And so but I loved it because this book he talks about subtle representations that happened in like theater, what was going on in the militaries. And he's talking about breaking gender role conformity. I will, I need to get you the author of the, of the, I book. will put it in my show notes because, okay, this is perfect. This is cause this is how I wrap up. Tell me a life book that you feel like has been something that helps you to live an intentional life. And then the second one will be Tell me something that you are reading or have read recently right now, like read or listen to. It could be a podcast or a movie or a TV series, whatever, for the second question. Okay. You can share with the listeners. I think that book would be perfect for us to put in the show notes as one that you've read right now. I've recently read. Yeah, I just finished it two days ago. Yep. Um, and yeah, I'll and get you the author and the title, the actual title of the book. Yeah. But yeah, it was an amazing look at LG and he only goes with LGBT because at the time that's what it was, right? The LGBTQ plus IA stuff. It's not discounting it at all. So no. I want everybody to understand that it began with LGBT and it has morphed and evolved into something a lot more inclusive. So just remember that. But um, God, a life book. Holy shit. I'm going to have to say for me, I've read it a couple of times. And even though it is one of the easiest reads on the planet, the concepts are not easy to implement. It is a Buddhist book. It's written by Thich Nhat Hanh. I love him. Uh, the Vietnamese uh, Zen master, he recently passed away. Yeah. It's called You Are Here. And good book. Yeah. And uh, good Lord, that book is so <laughs> easily, it's so easy to just rip through and read the damn thing, right? And uh, you understand it logically, but when you start to try to apply the concepts in it, it proves to be a lot more challenging than you think initially. And it takes practice. And I frequently forget to remember that I am here. <laughs> I am present, you know, like I, I am right here. This is what is happening around me right now. That those tools in that book help to not necessarily completely erase, but it, they help to alleviate anxiety about the future, potential regret about the past. It brings you into the beautiful moment that is right now, everything, whether no matter what is happening around you, 
And I think that applies very much to the times that we're living in right now with the gun, the the ever-present gun debate, the mass shootings that are just so prevalent in our society in the United States, the war in the Ukraine, the oppression in the Middle East, the climate you know, disasters and things like that. And even things in our personal lives that are so hard to to deal with at times, I still forget to remember I am right here. But I think it's a book that really highlights the fact that life is too short to live in the past and dwell on the future. Yeah. I have a quote that has hung in my house since uh, I think it was like 2008 or 2009. And it says, embrace this moment for this moment is your life. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't know if you have a next moment. It's, it's not. And, and, and what is, and what is life? Life is built up of all of the moments. Yeah. And that became especially prevalent and very true to me when I lost my dad. So yeah. he was very healthy and we had no reason to believe that this would ever happen. Yeah. You can lose a loved one in the, in the blink of an eye. You can lose your own life in the blink of an eye. Why focus all of your attention on things that really aren't as important as we think they are. Right. Like truly reflect on what's important to you and hold that close to your heart and commit to those things. That's beautiful. I'm not perfect at it. I'm definitely the human <laughs> being that I'm definitely a human being that wakes up and goes, Oh my God, I'm not getting a paycheck on Thursday. What the fuck am I going to do? You know, perfect and, is boring. Yeah. And like saying, I'm sorry to her for not going to work because I have <laughs> vertigo and couldn't drive. Like I am not perfect, but these, <laughs> but these practices and the reason why I chose Buddhism is because they it teaches you how to take all of that shit and live with it in a meaningful way. But fuck, it's not easy. And that's okay. Yeah. I would encourage anyone to, you know, and challenge them to pick up that book and just read a chapter a week. Yeah. And that's great. try to, and do it in small amounts. You don't have to sit on a cushion and meditate for 15 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, when you're doing dishes, take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and realize that you are there in that moment. Yeah. In that breath. And um, you'd be amazed at how much of a calming effect that has, even if it's just for one moment. The next moment, you might get frazzled as fuck, but at least for that one moment, you're going, you know what? I'm alive and I'm glad I'm alive. I love it. I know I'm going to call this episode frazzled as fuck. That's our life. Yeah. That's our life right there. I like it. Okay. Your turn books. Um, okay. So mine is nowhere near as deep as yours. That's okay. It doesn't have to be. But my, uh, the book that I think reprogrammed my head the most, what is, what's my favorite book? The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaven. It's a, it's fiction and he writes about it tells a story about family and friendship and how sometimes those two overlap and sometimes they don't. It talks about sexual orientation and figuring out who you are and how to manage that relationships and love everything in this book. I love this book. It is not a thin read. It is beautiful. And I read it when I was in my early thirties and have read it multiple times because it's probably the first book that made me realize that it was okay for me to like change how I saw myself. That's beautiful. I love that book. And what oh. am I reading right now? 
uh, or a podcast or a TV show or I'm actually like going to go with because we just saw her live and I listened to her audiobook and we bought her a copy of her book um, Hannah Gadsby's 10 Steps to Nanette it's really wonderful and it was so important for me to hear an adult woman describe her parents the way I think my kids will eventually describe my ex and I, and actually acknowledge that their mother was not the monster they think she is. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the only thing that's important in that book. But for me, that was the moment where I was like, at this moment in my life, I needed to hear that. It's funny. It's deep. She's honest about lots of stuff. It's Mm -hmm. all about, again, it's pride. It's all about representation and how she came to grips with her sexuality in a time and an era when homophobia was running rampant where she's from and learned to live a life as a a neurodivergent person. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love this book, but for me personally, what I needed from it at that exact moment was the acknowledgement that you are not always going to be seen by your kids the way they see you right now. (laughs) Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I appreciate both of you being on the podcast. I love when we have conversations. <laughs> um, Charity, I am so glad that we had that horrible gym class together. <laughs> what? Right? I would just way, like to take I a second. Wait. Hang on. Hang on. As a gym class lover, someone who was pro gym class, again, how did you not know I was gay? I would like to take a moment and say thank you to all the gym teachers who have to put up with people like Charity and Celeste. Thank you. Hey, I, I tried. We did the work. Mm-hmm. And also, we, though, I, I do want to tell you, thank you for defending me when I didn't know that's what that. that no. <laughs> I didn't realize completely that that's what I was doing either. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But it, just, it just made me like, what's wrong with you people? But, yeah. I can't, I can't say that it was like an anti-homophobe thing. Even at that point, it was just pettiness. I'm, I am anti-bullying. Well, somebody, well, somebody said something derogatory and you were like, fuck off, you know? And and, minus the fuck word, because I didn't know that that's what my middle finger meant. (laughs) Never. That's even better. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I thought it meant like, shut up, asshole. (laughs) You you are a true friend. Oh, anyway, yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, Celeste. Thank you for hanging out with us for so long. It's yeah. it's been it's been a long conversation, but um, I really appreciate doing this. And so, anytime you want to have me or her or both of us back, you're welcome to. <laughs> I I think we need to have another conversation, Deb, around ordained women and <laughs> yeah, and you know, feminism and the role that it played in how we left. And I, I really want to talk to you about because, because it is the queer journey that got me out of the Mormon church and as a straight person, you know, like the things that impacted in the way that, and again, it's, I have been anti-bullying Yeah. (laughs) and I, that in 2014, that policy was nothing but a hate policy. Agreed. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, because they already needed parental permission. So there was no reason to make that policy other than purely as a hate policy. It was punishment. It was very pointed. Mm -hmm. And there was no space in my life for something that demeaning. And I am, I am so thankful that I was that aware at that point in time, because 
Can you imagine that 2008 Rory was two years old? I had no idea that my kid was then going to grow up to come out and be on his own journey. Yeah. And I am proud of myself that I can look back and say, I left the religion I grew up in because I felt that it was wrong for people like you to not be told you're enough exactly the way that you are. Yep. And, and, so for, everybody- and for everything else, there's therapy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> for everybody listening, all the kids, if you know, just you are enough. enough. Yeah. You are enough exactly the way you are. This planet was not meant to be populated by a bunch of by a bunch of people that are exactly the same. We're supposed to be colorful. We're supposed to be vibrant. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to learn from each other. And how can we learn from each other if we're all the same, right? Right. So be your colorful selves. Enjoy Pride Month. Happy Pride to you, Celeste. Thank yeah. you. And, and happy you Pride to both child. of you. Yeah. Yep, yep absolutely. And we... Embrace the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for letting us have this opportunity. This was a good time. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. I know. I love you. I love you. I love you too. All right. Have a good night. Yeah, you You too. too. Bye. Bye. I hope you loved this conversation as much as I did. I really had wanted to put it out during pride. It's okay that it didn't because I really felt like it was important to keep all three of these episodes and um, like here in Charlotte, our pride week is not until August anyway. And we have time for that still. And truly it's important that we don't just take one month to recognize and celebrate the diversity that is in our world and the beauty that is the rainbow of who we all are. I just hope this was as amazing for you as it was for me. Whew. This life is packed. 